0: Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best selling author and co creator of paleoparents.com, where we focus on real life solutions for families seeking health. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times
1: best selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics.
0: I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Holy cats! We are back again with Rob Wolf, Sarah.
1: I so it we it, we have to kind of like be a little bit upfront with all of our listeners that what we actually did was like record like a double feature. At Rob, you know, was so so generous with his time and you know hung out with us for like an hour and a half to record two episodes of the Paleo View. But it was really nice for uh, well okay, selfishly for me, because I really had two very different topics that I wanted to talk with Rob about. And it just made sense to kind of divide them into uh, two podcasts. So, you know, I just have to, you know, I, I just have to say Rob's really cool. He's so, and so generous with his time. Like, what an awesome guy.
0: I love that you're like, so we have to tell you, like, like our listeners can't figure that out. Our listeners are the highly intelligent listeners that figure that out.
1: I they they knew it from the title on the iTunes again, Rob Wolf <laughs> Part Two, and they went, Wow, they made it a two parter again. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, clearly clearly we're we're not we're not being coy at, at all again. Uh, well, we might be
0: trying to be but we're terrible at it. We're,
1: we're we're failing miserably. Um but yeah, so so um we have this our second part of our interview with Rob. Um switching gears a little bit and talking about a different topic. Um again, you know, I I want to offer a an a unsolicited plug for Wired to Eat. I think it's a really phenomenal book. Um and I I definitely, you know, I've been getting really like I I've been geeking out over it so I always think of it like when I geek out over a book it's you know it's a really neat book that's really propelling the you know conversations in our movement forward and I think that's you know the the most amazing thing that a book can do now when there's so many different books out there within the paleo movement to be able to advance the entire conversation I think is really amazing.
0: Yeah, I I don't think our listeners have missed the fact that we've had less guests on the show than we did, you know, years ago, and that every show is not a here's a new product or, you know, book or endorsement. We try very hard to make the show content oriented so that it's value to your life. And so when we say something like, we think Rob's book is great, it's because we think Rob's book is great. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure you got part of that ingenious um, last week. And this week, it's, you know, we're not really going to talk about this book, although we still think it's great and would recommend it. Um, But I think this week is more about conceptual concepts that are just fantastic to mind meld in the community and thought leaders to brainstorm together. And I wish that there were more of that. Like there isn't a paleo board, you know, we've talked about this before, Um, like Weston A. Price Foundation has, you know, a group of people and they get together and they talk about the concepts and the direction that they want to go. And, um, both for negative and, and positive reasons, paleo doesn't have that. And so this concept of, you know, brainstorming and mind melding often happens um, at events like Paleo FX, where people are literally, you know, scheduling appointments with one another to go out to dinner or whatever and, and have these conversations. So it's it's super nice to be able to do this with the you know the benefit of sharing that with our listeners um on the podcast so i'm i'm looking forward to hearing you guys geek out
1: so let's do it <laughs> So Rob, first of all, thank you for hanging out with us extra long so that we could do a two-part episode with you, because I know all of our listeners were like, the end of last week's episode, they were like, oh my gosh, I need more Rob Wolf with Stacey and Sarah. This is amazing. Um, But I also felt like what we talked about already is this great launching point to talk about, um, you know, something I think that a lot of thought leaders within the paleo community are starting to mull over, which is, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, the future of the paleo movement. Um, What I've seen in the last couple years is I've started to see a lot of the sort of more mainstream advice kind of take a little tilt towards, hey, vegetables are more important than grains. Like I think focusing on vegetables and the new USDA guidelines where they have focusing on vegetables of different colors, I think that is amazing, amazing progress in the right direction. And then, hey, you know, seafood's really important. And this, you know, omega-3s are really important. And, you know, it's, it is really good to eat, you know, organic and in season and local. And it's grass-fed meat, is you know, really does have a lot more nutrition And this, these things that have been so thematic in the paleo movement for so long. And we're starting to see this sort of shift in what you know, doesn't really have a label. It's it's what your doctor would just say, you know, eat healthy. Um, you know, we're starting to see a shift in those recommendations that are sort of towards what would be sort of classically considered a paleo diet, while at the same time within the paleo movement, we're having these much more detailed conversations about um, foods that haven't traditionally been considered paleo, uh, like white rice, like uh, lentils or some other sort of dried beans, right, that have some really compelling, you know, fiber and resistant starch, and they're quite mineral dense. And if they're prepared properly, the anti-nutrient content is really low. So, and grass-fed dairy, for example, we're having these conversations that are like, hey, you know, these foods are clearly foods that are going to work for a lot of people. And maybe we don't need to be quite so dogmatic in, our approach to paleo maybe it doesn't need to be this <laughs> list of yes foods and list of no foods but instead more of a scientific foundation that helps educate your food choices so you really understand what's in that food that's going to be good for your body and what's in that food that might be a problem and then you get to experiment and figure out what works for you optimally and what i'm really interested in is where these two sort of you know parallel tracks converge and I know that you have like twenty minutes worth of thoughts on that.
2: At, at least. Yeah, probably just doing the preamble. But it, it's it's interesting and I look at this a little bit like a computer operating system. You know, you've got these different competing methodologies out there, whether it's like the American Dietetics Association gig or Paleo or Vegan or what have you. And it, it's kinda cool with the with the internet and social media and whatnot. Like people can try these things on about as easy as trying on a sweater. I mean, there's a little more investment there, but you know, it usually takes you about 30 days to figure out if a nutritional intervention is, is steering you in the right way. But you, you know, it's not that hard to to try this stuff out and to get a ton of information and feedback, sometimes too much, but you know, what, what we're finding is people are really, you know, kicking the tires on a lot of different methodologies and finding significant improvements in their health and their body composition, and so some of these best practices are just kind of percolating to the top. And then, you know, to the degree that you know these governmental recommendations are changing, I mean, it, it's it's not tinfoil hat stuff, but the the U.S. military looks at our healthcare system as an existential threat. Like we are in within. Fifteen years we will be in a position where we could spend every nickel, dime, and penny of our GDP, our gross domestic product, dealing with diabetes-related issues alone. And then I think maybe like a multiple of that. So there's not a single dime of productivity left over for a pothole or a pencil or a dam or, you know, a bridge or anything, you know? And so you know there've been people that have profiteered off this system but it's reaching a a breaking point where it's kind of like okay so you know uh, uh Frido Lay keeps selling folks you, you're you know what Frido Lay's in collusion with the American dietetics association they keep saying sugar and potato chips are okay in moderation even though it's absolutely impossible to eat a moderate amount of these things you know that type of bs is is just getting hauled at this point because the system is ready to break. And I mean, if people think that that's a hyperbolic statement, like I'll, I'll buy you a cup of coffee and I'll draw you a picture of all this stuff, you know, is is playing out. So I, I think that some of this is changing because people are experimenting and talking. And so there's kind of a, a grassroots pressure that's kind of pushing best practices up. And then from the top, the the folks that are, you know, running this crazy train are looking around and they're like, okay, so in 15 years, we could be bankrupt due to the diabetic and, and diabetes related issues that are plaguing our society. What are we going to do about that? And, you know, it, it, one of the unfortunate things that's kind of coming out of that is the, the whole planet of the vegans, um, uh, soybean protein is going to be sustainable and will save us all. Like that's a really, juicy meme that the the tech industry and government and a lot of people are are kind of sinking their teeth into. And so this is my next area of endeavor is really taking on this sustainability story and, and you know, mm. giving giving as much um scrutiny to that as I can to make a case for this notion that, you know, grass converts sunlight into carbohydrates and large herbivores eat those carbohydrates and they also produce some food for us and we eat the herbivores, we eat the fruits and vegetables. When we die something else eats us, and it's this merry-go-round cycle of of, you know, kind of energetic exchange. And and uh some people like Joel Salatin, Alan Savory, I think that they've made some really compelling cases around this notion that a a sustainable food system looks really, really different than the one that we have. And it also yeah. looks very, very different than Planet of the Vegans. And, uh, uh, you know, what exactly it does look like, interestingly, because in the last show we were talking about personalized nutrition, feeding oneself at a local level, like what they do in Peru is going to be very different than what they do in Kansas. You know, the the things that are going to be sustainable and, and long-term healthy for both the the environment and the population are probably going to be quite regionally Specific and uh, that you know with globalization and all that stuff, I think that that 's going to be some interesting stuff to work out, but you know those things are changing, and there's some really powerful levers being pulled that that you know we're we 're either going to deal with it head on and have kind of a soft landing in the process or we 're going to ignore it. And th- it will get dealt with, and it's not going to finish as Planet of the Vegans, but it, it may look a little bit more Mad Max than <laughs> what anybody <laughs> would really be be comfortable dealing with.
1: I love that you talked about sustainability, because I think that that's one of the, you know, I think it's one of the perfectly valid sort of critiques of the paleo movement in general that's worthy of you know, engaging in a conversation. Again, I don't, I don't think criticisms just necessarily require a rebuttal of you're wrong because of this. I think, you know, some of them do. Some of them clearly do. But when we start talking about sustainability, how do we feed the planet on a diet that looks like paleo? I think we get into some really interesting conversations about, well, you know, the planet might be overpopulated and we, we might not be able to do this. We might have to do things like embrace insect protein. Um, which then is, you know, takes a fraction of the resources, creates high-quality protein, has lots of other great nutrients, like it's the only animal source of uh, fiber, for example, mm-hmm. um, lots, real, and they're like a really cool fiber, um, and, uh, you know, mineral-rich and all these great things, plus, you know, not disgusting, surprisingly. Um, you know, I think that that we can start to have these conversations, or the fact that when you grow you know beef sustainably you know in their natural environment that you you can use the same amount of land space as you would a monocrop of corn that then has to be trucked to a feedlot the same amount of land space will feed the same amount of cows if they're just out grazing, and then you get all the other species, all the other vegetation that would be in that land, all of the birds and the insects and the you know rich soil because it's not being depleted and stripped away. I think there's a lot of really interesting um, aspects of this that are part myth-busting and then part, like, let's legitimately problem-solve here.
2: right. Yeah, I, I could not agree more, you know, and it, it's uh it's an interesting time to be alive. And I think that we we have some great opportunities to kind of move the needle on all this stuff. And it, I think it's also a very natural process. A lot of folks arrive in the paleo scene because they were sick and yeah. they really need to deal with their own stuff first. You know, it's kind of like when you're you're on the airplane and they're like, if you're, you know, if the cabin depressurizes, put on your own mask and then put on, you know, help the person next to you or or what have you. And so I think a lot of that has happened. You know, literally millions of people in the United States and other westernized societies have been playing with this kind of ancestral health, paleo diet type concept and and oftentimes arrive here because everything else has failed. You know, mainstream medicine has failed and they finally find a nutrition and lifestyle intervention that addresses their needs and there's a process of healing and getting healthy. And then at the end of that, you kind of pop your head up and you're looking around. And you're like, OK, so what next? And for me, that what next is really putting some thought into, you know, articulating and and vetting this uh, food system and, and also healthcare system. But I won't go down that that rabbit hole at all. Uh, we really will be down to six listeners in no time. But, you know, <laughs> there's some there's some vetting that needs to occur on that process and some significant discussion. I uh, I love a a guy Dan Carlin. He has a a huge podcast, uh Hardcore History and also um Common Sense and he makes a really interesting case, you know, we just came out of this uh post election cycle, you know, insanity of of politics and everything, but he made an interesting case that, you know, up until pretty recently, people on the two, you know, the different political divides, they had different ideology, but they all read the same books. They all read Marx. They all read Stalin. They, you, you know, they all read the same stuff, but they just had different takes on whether, you know, to what degree they they bought into it or not. In this day and age, we not only don't read the same books, we we uh, we 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 haven't read any of the foundational stuff. And you know, Sarah, this is part of the reason why you've been so successful. Yeah, you know, these, these someone with a background in like biophysics or something like that. You, you just kind of get the implications of thermodynamics and, and uh, you know, if you pop your head up and do a little bit of business, then you understand economics on a pretty deep level rather quickly. And, you know, when you get your head wrapped around economics, thermodynamics, and if you're open to this idea of kind of evolutionary biology, you've got a really deep insight into the way that the world works. You don't know the specifics of every single little thing, but like you could have some – reasonably informed commentary on a lot of things. You know, like if if people are advocating for uh, uh, ethanol production, you know, grow corn, turn corn into ethanol, use ethanol to drive your cars, a really simple question to ask there is, hey, what are the farmers who raise the ethanol use in their tractors? And it's like, oh, they use like diesel or gasoline. Well, why? Well, because it actually takes more energy to make the ethanol than what you get out. And so that means it's a boondoggle, <laughs> you know, and yeah. so there's some really simple processes that if we, you know, part of our our challenge is going to be getting people to think about things from a a, a reasonably technical level, you know, thinking about energetic inputs and outputs and, and this full what's called life cycle analysis. And it, it's topics that can absolutely make people either cure their insomnia thinking about it or <laughs> commit suicide if, if it's, you know, if I, I blather on enough about it. But these are some of the topics we're going to have to have conversations with. And somehow we have to make, you know, these topics as interesting as abs and CrossFit workouts and gluten-free pizza recipes. And I I don't know exactly how we do that, but that's kind of the task before us.
1: I think that so many of the challenges that we face um, in terms of uh, addressing, you know, public health problems in general boil down to scientific literacy. And I think that so much of um, so much of why Paleo has been successful to this point is the number of voices in our community that are approaching this from not just a perspective that's sort of rooted in the scientific evidence but also from um in a communication sort of strategy as well, so that you know i know it's it's I consider myself almost like a science translator, like the person who where he reads all of the the papers and then tries to put it into English for the average person um, and give them, you know, what's, what, what's actionable out of this information. And I think that as, you know, as we continue to tackle all of these issues from, you know, why isn't wheat a good food all the way to, you know, why shouldn't we have, you know, monocrops and farm subsidies? I think that that entire range of, of conversations, I think it has to come with an educational foundation. And I think that as we, you know, this is what we're seeing, right? We're seeing a lot of people as they're taking control of their health, they're also educating themselves. And I think that there's going to be some people we're going to have to force the education on them a little bit, but as we can sort of spread that, foundation, I think it's going to get easier and easier to talk about these really technical issues in ways that doesn't generally cure insomnia. We'll cure insomnia with a with diet first.
2: Right, right. No, and, and I'm optimistic about it. And, you know, it, it, more has happened in the last 15, almost uh, 18 years that I've been fiddling with this paleo stuff. Uh, more has come to pass than what I thought would happen in my whole lifetime. So, I mean, it I'm it, um, very very optimistic. Um, it, it's pretty cool that when people can get in and really try this stuff out, you know that we get some some you know kind of market based truth that that emerges out of this stuff. So it, you know I'm very very optimistic. But we definitely um, you know we have lots of job security. Nobody's going to come in and solve you know build the mousetrap that puts you and I out of work. Whether we're talking about the health side or the sustainability side,
1: I mean. I would I would take losing my job security for curing obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular disease. I
2: I absolutely would too. I'm ready to do that coconut farm in Nicaragua, but I still <laughs> feel like I've got some work to do. So yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm ready for the bed and breakfast. So I'm I'm working on plan 2 so that when you guys solve the problems, we're already set up and ready for our paleo bed and breakfast so everybody we can just... come.
1: Hang out Perfect. and stay yep. there.
2: I, I make fantastic omelets, so I'm I'm on breakfast duty.
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna eat everybody's food that they make. I'm just that's that'll be my my job. I'll just sit. You make excellent you'll tea, be, Sarah. You, I do. You'll be
2: quality control, quality assurance. <laughs> you
1: I will be the official taster to make sure. Um, so switching gears a little bit to um. You know, I think that right now within the paleo movement, we're seeing, um, we're seeing almost—it's almost like there's almost factions within the community, and some of that is creating really engaging and uh, productive debate, um, and some of it just becomes like whiny infighting. And what I would sort of love is your perspective on what leaders in this movement can be doing now to both sort of set up the paleo movement to move forward successfully i mean i in my sort of dream world i want to see a, you know a doctor's like intake forms and it says diet and like paleo is one of the check boxes right like that it's just it's so mainstream that it's, Oh, you eat paleo. Cool. Like it's not a thing that you then have to explain. No, we actually eat vegetables. It's not, it's not all meat. It's a zero, it's not a zero carb thing. Like, like I spend more time myth busting what paleo is than I spend talking about just about anything else. Um, so, you know, kind of a little bit of a like state of the union slash what are the more immediate steps that need to be taken to just help set paleo up to continue to experience the very positive growth that it has experienced over the last, you know, decade, decade and a half.
2: Yeah. You know, so my theory at the very first paleo FX, which I I guess is now like five years ago, six years ago, like quite, quite a while. um, They, the, you know, the state of the paleo union deal was like, where do you see paleo going? And my prediction was that it would go away in that, it would just be absorbed into the the existing structure. I mean, you know, modern medicine, if you get hit by a bus, you know, shot with an arrow, um, you know, run over by a wildebeest, it's amazing. Like dealing with trauma and acute issues, modern medicine is, is just a step away from miraculous. It is terrible and an abject failure in dealing with chronic degenerative disease. And so if we were to take this this amazing you know medical system that we have and just reorient it towards this thing that isn't just prescriptive you know it's like you can't there's never going to be a pill that deals with diabetes and neurodegenerative disease like it's going to be an integrated approach or it's going to be so complex that it's like nanobots are climbing around our body and that's a whole other degree of science fiction. It's not going to happen for a long, oh, long, long, long time. Then
1: they take control of your body, and, and then, then they they turn everyone take into their slaves. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, no, yeah. it just degenerates from there.
2: Yeah, but you know, it it just is not. It wouldn't be a crazy step for you know the bulk of medical practitioners. You know, as part of their intake you know, how's your sleep, what's your food, what's your community, you know, which is kind of a page out of, you know, this kind of ancestral health template. Those are all critical features of, of human health. And they all have huge directives or bearings based off of what our, our kind of genetic ancestry is as as hunter gatherers. And then, you know, brief period of time as agriculturalists and a much briefer time as, uh you know, information age societies. And so there's some really profound implications there. And so if if every doctor that popped out of med school over the next 20 years just had an orientation towards an ancestral health approach, you know, it it would be a remarkable change. And really, it, you know, it's it's funny, it wouldn't be that difficult to happen. Now, there's lots of institutional rigmarole that, that's going to slow that down. But, you know, you have the uh, out of the Cleveland Clinic, like the the folks coming out of there, they're now certified in functional medicine. And although I think the the standard functional medicine model is a little top heavy on using too many diagnostic measures out of the gate, they're really pretty well steeped in, in everything that, you know, goes into a paleo type diet. Like they're completely aware of immunogenic potential of foods and they have a sophisticated understanding of insulin resistance and organic acid testing and all this type of stuff. So that's that's going to change things because the doctors who have that operating system, that that worldview are going to be way more effective than the docs who don't have that. And so it, it's going to spread like, you know, herpes on a college campus and, and uh, it, it won't take that long for the, the people who are, are, you know, not not with it to to become archaic and really insignificant in what they're providing.
1: I'm just still, and I don't know if that answered the question at all.
2: But no, I don't
1: know if it did either. I'm just stuck on the analogy. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm, I'm Matt's gonna have to figure out what to do with those. That's just great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love that you sort of brought in functional medicine because I see a lot of compatibility in terms of what we're talking about in the paleo movement. In terms of you know, not just. Um, you know diet not just in terms of eliminations but also in terms of a nutrient density focus and then health being not just about what you eat but also about your other choices in your day like are you getting enough sleep and are you mitigating your stress and are you active throughout the day are you avoiding sitting for prolonged periods of time are you engaging in weight bearing exercise are you um do you have a community and do you have a tight social network i mean all of these things are are really Important inputs to health, and it's it's not just about the food on our plates and I think that functional medicine is very much embracing it's i mean it is preventative medicine what preventative medicine should be. you know we talk a lot about um, you know how you know how do we deal with chronic illness well, i mean you you can definitely steer that ship in a different direction once you know, many of these chronic illnesses have been established, but it's not the same as preventing it before the the body sort of gets to that point. And I think that being able to focus on preventative medicine is clearly going, and and that means instead of paleo attracting people who are sick and fed up with conventional medicine and looking for um, alternatives and, and, you know, feeling empowered to sort of address their own health through diet and lifestyle. We need to reach the people before they get sick. Right. And while you're healthy, here's some great things to do to keep yourself healthy so that you're never going to be that person who, you know, has to take a lot of sick days. It's not just a drain on, you know, the medical system in terms of care, but it's a drain on the entire economy when we're not functioning at our best. Right. How do you have ideas on how to, how to do that transition? Cause it no. can't all be through CrossFitters.
2: No, no. And you know, um, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to be like a specific centralized approach. I think a of people are going to get in and, and fiddle with this stuff, you know, like, so, the Cleveland Clinic is doing their program. Chris Cresser has his Cresser uh, Institute Adapt program, which is essentially an evolutionary medicine program employing this functional medicine temp- template. And I think he does actually a way better job of um, leading with that ancestral health perspective and then using diagnostic, you know, criteria to to you know whittle things down. Whereas the the most of the and it's changed over time, but the Historically, the functional medicine docs were just like, okay, we're going to run five thousand dollars of testing, and and a ton of it was completely irrelevant, and they needed to start with uh, a thorough intake and dietary history, and you know, had were you vaginal or or C-section birth? Were you breastfed? When was your first antibiotic exposure? Were you on tetracycline for acne during your your adoles- You know, there's all these questions that should have been asked instead of just leading with a ton of of uh, diagnostic testing. But I um. You know, and maybe this is my free market libertarianism kind of showing through, and so I, I, you know, I really don't see this stuff getting championed by any major entity per per se. You know, well, the Cleveland Clinic is a, a major entity, but you know, and they're implementing this functional medicine stuff, but I, I see it popping up in a lot of ways and in a lot of flavors, and there will be a lot of competition and and mashing of teeth and sharing and warring of ideas. And I, I think that that's going to be great, you know, and, and, uh, again, in this kind of market of ideas, the better operating systems are, are going to emerge. And so I'm, I'm pretty, you know, pretty optimistic about that. So I, I don't know that, you know, always encouraging people to, you know, remain open minded, don't turn things into religious doctrine, like that's all really good stuff. And it's also telling people to be exactly the opposite of what humans fundamentally are. We are tribal and regional and petty and short-sighted, and that's just who we are, you know? <laughs> and so that's that's part, of our ch- that's part of our beauty and part of our challenge. I mean, it's a little bit like the whole thing, uh, you know, the, the trite recommendations for our, our nutrition. Eat more, move less, everything in moderation that just ignores our fundamental humanity. We're not wired to eat, eat, you know, we're wired to eat more and, and, uh, uh, move less. And, and, uh, we, you know, what does moderation mean when you're in the middle of the snack aisle, of the supermarket, like it's just ridiculous. So. Well, I know um, what it means.
1: It's just five bags of potato chips. Yeah.
2: It's just five bags of potato chips. Five. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's moderation. Yeah. Well, you know, you can do a sixth one if each bag of potato chip is a completely different flavor. So, yeah, yeah. Genius. Yes. Just changed
0: my world right there. So, Rob, I loved your genius. Um, I can tell that you have – this is not your first time at the podcast rodeo to plug um, your book, Wired to Eat. We talked about it in our last podcast, but we would be – Remiss to mention at this time, I think um, for people who are looking for more information, you can definitely find it in um, Rob's new book, Wired to Eat, or, of course, The Paleo Solution, your first New York Times bestselling book. Um, Is there anything else that you want to tell our audience and listeners other than how awesome your wife is?
2: (laughs) That that is probably where I, I should end the whole thing. But you know, <laughs> since since we but my wife is incredibly awesome and uh she will be with me at Palo FX this year, finally, so that'll that'll be a ton of fun. But you know, I would we did talk a lot about this uh sustainability topic, and I would really encourage people with a highly critical mind, um, go check out the Savory Institute, Savory Institute dot com or dot org. I I forget, but Check out the videos that Alan Savory has produced, like his, his, I think, 22 million view TED talk where he's talking about, uh, you know, grazing animals, reversing desertification and sequestering atmospheric carbon back down to uh, pre-industrial levels and uh, really, you know, critically look at that stuff and uh, give it some thought and try to poke holes in it because this is for me, this is the, um, the solution that we have. And if it's not going to work, then I'm just going to smoke them while I've got them. And I'm not going to care about anything. So, um, but I, so far I've had some remarkably smart people, um, you know, go in and, and kick the tires on that stuff. And when they come out, you know, some people who are, you know, systems engineer for oil companies and some, uh, non-equilibrium thermodynamics specialist physicists, they pop their head up after looking at that and they're like, wow, this totally makes sense. This fits with everything that we understand about systems, biology, systems, ecology. So uh, I would encourage all, all of you folks, you know, as you're taking care of your, your own health and the health of your family and you're looking a little bit further down the road, um, really get well acquainted with the Savory Institute, Polyface Farms and these people advocating for permaculture and animal-inclusive sustainability practices. And and again, not don't check it out just because I suggested it and don't believe it just because I suggested it. Get in and kick the tires and field test it and be critical of it, but also be open to the potential that this is a, a remarkable option that, that we should give a lot more fanfare towards.
0: I want to h- highly endorse what you're saying. I actually live in an area where polyface delivers to me. One of the things that I love about that uh, model is that they don't work outside of their region in order to make it work. And it's the reason that Joel wrote the forward to our nose to tail book beyond bacon. And I know Sarah has been a long time advocate of nose to tail eating, not just for the sustainability, but also the health aspects. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for, for Everyone, there's there's really not a reason not to do it. It's also economical, um, you know. So get yourself a chest freezer and find a group. I know we've talked about this before, but um, from a practicality standpoint, there's almost always, no matter where you live, a group of people who will do bulk buys of you know animal shares, just like a CSA for um, fruit and vegetable. And the fantastic thing about that is that you all can you know get the price break of um sharing a sustainably raised and humanely raised animal um that will save you money in the long run so that's a big passion of mine so i'm glad that you wrapped up with that because that's something i can actually chime in on but
2: fantastic um,
0: (laughs) well i want to thank you again so much for joining us on the paleo view and i you know our six listeners whether they're three bots um (laughs) <laughs> or not um I'm sure have enjoyed your uh joining us on the podcast as well, and um sarah it's it's nice to have you be able to geek out with someone and sling uh acronyms and euphemisms back and forth and and me just kind of get the benefit of listening for a little while so
1: I mean, you know how I like to geek out, and Rob's kinda one of my favorite people to geek out with, so
2: thank you thank you very much
0: you could have just ended (laughs) the sentence with one of my favorite people like you know
1: that's true that's true (laughs) awesome it would still be a truthful sentence there
2: well thank you thank you it was a huge honor being on the show you get you gals do just phenomenal work and uh really looking forward to seeing you both at paleo fx
1: i are you are you going this year stacy no
0: I'll see you there. Okay, I'll see
2: one of you at the. <laughs> I <know. laughs>
0: We we I don't know if you know this, Rob, but one of the things that we focused on as a family in order to make our lifestyle more sustainable and optimize our health and well being was to spend more time as a family. Like our kids are getting older, and um, it's it's more difficult to leave them unless we take them. And frankly. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't sound fun. And so we, we do a lot of family travel instead. I have a full-time job, but I I, I miss the paleo events, but I also really enjoy
2: being family focused. So oh, we'll just, I'll, I'll see you at a future polyface event then. How about for that? For
0: sure. For sure. Okay, I was, cool. I was sad to, to miss the one that happened this year. I usually am I'm a heavy participant in, in those events, but nonetheless, it was great to have you on. I'm sure I will see you around and thank you to our listeners for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old.